I'm interrupting my own podcast to talk to you about Anchor. Anchor is brought to you by Spotify and is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It will also help you distribute your podcast across popular podcast hosting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Best of all, you can make money from your podcast on Anchor with no minimum listenership. So for those of us just starting out, this is very helpful. And do you know how much it costs to have everything you need to make a podcast in one place? 100% free. Yep, you heard me right. You can do all of this and make money for free. So if you have been thinking about starting your own podcast, now is your chance. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, I'm Yan. Hi, I'm Yvonne. Welcome to Lost and Refound Podcast. We're a podcast discussing our personal journeys as modern Asian women and sharing inspiring stories from within our community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Now let's get started. Hi, Yan. Hi, Anna. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. Um, we have Anastasia here. She is the founder of Minori Beauty, which is a conscious and clean beauty brand with minimalistic origins. So we have her here, and she's so much more than just an entrepreneur. Like many of you, she is more than a founder. So we're here to understand and share her story and also share our thoughts on beauty and the beauty industry here today. So Anna, let's start with your journey on the launch of Minori. How did you start <laughs> and craft the brand you have today? Uh, guys, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, you are both a pleasure to work with, and I haven't seen both your faces in a very long time, so it's such a, a treat to see you tonight and to hear your voices. Uh, so, I mean, I'd love to take you guys back a couple of years because um, it was not a straight path uh, that led me to entrepreneurship um, at all. Uh, I, I'll take you, you know, back to my college years. I graduated uh, back in 2012, a few years um, after the 08 recession and uh, I studied um, at McGill University in Montreal um, and for, for, for some strange reason decided to study finance although I was definitely not gifted in math or <laughs> I would have made a terrible <laughs> investment banker uh, but I think being a child of, of immigrants I kind of had that that mind of I'll study something safe so I can make a decent paycheck one day uh, and when I graduated university I didn't really know what my calling was like it wasn't I wasn't one of these kids who had that blessing of like knowing that they wanted to go into a certain path and I interviewed with so many different companies and I ended up landing the most unconventional job of them all I became a commodity trader so I was buying agricultural commodities uh, from big industrial farms this is probably as distant from where I am in the beauty industry today as it possibly gets. Uh, but I learned how to negotiate. I learned how to build relationships with people. And I really enjoyed that side of it. And eventually over multiple different job transitions, I kind of landed into the world of e-commerce. And I became a, a buyer for a Canadian uh, e-commerce retailer called Well.ca. And the moment that I stepped my foot into that place, I felt at home. I felt, okay, this is my world. You know, I, I understand um, how customers think and I, I understand what a beautiful product looks like and how to identify these brands. 
And uh, I started off in the, in the home category. And uh, very quickly, I migrated into managing their personal care category. And that's where the fun began because on one hand, I worked with brands um, from the Procter & Gamble portfolio, from the Unilever portfolio with these giants. But on the other hand, I worked with mom and pops that were building clean deodorant brands out of their kitchens and who were built, you know, building empires out of making soap bar and seeing how that hard work and creativity and hustle uh, could be turned into a profitable business into creating a product that really resonates with consumers and hearing that brand voice being, you know, completely different, different narrative, a completely different conversation from what we kind of saw in the, in the years prior to that. So that's where I started falling in love with beauty, falling in love with that category. And uh, a few years after that, I ended up moving to New York City uh, with my husband and uh, who was still my, my fiance at, a time, at the time. <laughs> and um, kind of, you know, when, when you set a goal for yourself and that, that whole concept of positive thinking of that, that secret <laughs> theory, uh, that kind of worked out for me. I was uh, still in Toronto at the time working for a retailer that was about to go bankrupt, Sears Canada. And uh, I was on a trip to Bologna, Italy, to Cosmoprof, the largest beauty trade show in the world. And uh, behind me on, on, the, on the bus that gets us to the trade show every morning uh, sits uh, Allison Lord from Ipsy. And I turn around and I say, oh my God, Ipsy, it's my favorite kind of beauty company out there. You guys are amazing. This would be my dream job. Like nothing in the world would make me happier than to work there one day. And uh, I, I said, you know, if ever anything opens up and I want to move to New York City, um, if anything opens up, let me know. And a month later, uh, Ipsy had a position in personalization uh, and I interviewed for it and I got it, which was just out of this world, the odds of this happening, of just meeting someone on a, <laughs> on a trip like this. And I think that's really where I um, kind of solidified my understanding of the beauty industry even more because I, I wasn't a buyer anymore. I had a much more technical job. My job was to understand the beauty preferences of the 3 million subscribers that Ipsy had and try to use the data um, that they gave us because they would fill out a beauty quiz and tell us you know, what products they liked, what kind of shades they liked. Uh, and my job was to make sure that the algorithm uh, worked well and that we would create beauty combination, beauty subscription box combinations for them that worked. And, you know, after, after about a year and a half, I started, I loved my job, but I started having that entrepreneurial itch where at that point I had seen so many other people create brands and I would see beautiful brands created, but also some brands that I was like, hmm. I'm like, it's interesting. Like, it's just a product. There's no really story here. Or it's just mm. you know, packaging with a logo stamped on it. And I'm like, I feel like I could come up with something so much stronger. And I, I started to really understand what the market was, was lacking. Uh, so that's the journey up to that moment. And there's so much more to tell, but that was kind of the, the, the path that led me to, to starting to think about creating my own brand. Ipsy was my dream job too. And I remember when I got hired, I was so excited. And working there is very inspiring because we work with so many small brands. And I agree with you, there are brands with amazing stories and I really want to support them. And there are brands where you're like, you just buy that and slap a label on there and try to sell it. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I definitely see where that can really inspire you to launch your own beauty brand. 100%. And I think that the catalyst to um, really figuring out 
well, what kind of brand am I going to launch? What is really needed out there in the market? That that came to me in an unexpected way. I was getting ready for my wedding. I was going to get married on June 2018. And um, I had a makeup trial done. I invited a makeup artist over and I told her, I'm like, look, I, I don't wear a ton of makeup. I'm a minimalist. You know, I want my face to be very natural. Don't put too much color on me, et cetera. And even after all this instruction, she did my makeup for like an hour and a half and I had so much foundation on. It was <laughs> so terrible. <laughs> and, and my, like I was, just looked like a completely different person. And I don't think, you know, I don't think I need to be transformed to that extent. <laughs> you don't, you are, your skin is always glowing. Mm-hmm. Even right now, <laughs> through Zoom, your skin is glowing. Well, I kind of came out of that and I was like, oh boy, I'm like, I think I might have to do this myself. And, you know, what if I kind of go to Sephora and, uh, and buy my own products and um, do my own, my own wedding makeup? In the end, I ended up finding a much better makeup artist and had beautiful wedding day makeup. But for a month and a half, I would go to Sephora on lunch breaks. Uh, while working at Ipsy and I would kind of start looking for these products that I would build out a, a wedding makeup look with. And what dawned on me is that there wasn't a single brand at Sephora that focused 100% on the natural makeup look. And like, think about it. Majority of us, every single day we wake up, we go to work. We're not putting a YouTube tutorial ver- of, of makeup on our face. We're putting on like, you know, five, six products, mainly skincare. We'll do our brows. We'll put mascara. We'll maybe put a natural looking blush, like maybe a very neutral eyeshadow. And when you're walking through Sephora or through majority of retailers, it's a lot of glitter. It's collections with 24 different shades of lipstick to choose from, of which like four of them are wearable. And then the rest is like really for a certain occasion or a certain outfit. And as a customer, when I was walking into Sephora, not as a beauty industry professional, I was overwhelmed. And think about it. I've been working in the beauty industry for so, so long, but being a very basic wake up, makeup wearer in everyday life, I did not see a brand that really resonated with me. I would say apart from Bobbi Brown. I think Bobbi Brown is kind of that OG of the natural makeup look. But when you think about what kind of innovation has been done in the past couple of years that have been new millennial brands with like beautiful packaging that really speaks to the millennial consumer, the Gen Z consumer as well. No one's really doing that natural makeup look, even though it's the biggest demand in the market. So I set out to fix that. And that was really where the idea for Minori came from, from a product perspective. And then we kept doing a lot of more digging to really understand what our brand story was going to be. And and I think you hit on a very tough struggle that I have in the beauty industry is that there are so many products on the shelf, so many products on the internet, and I'm a sucker for a good ad. So any good ad will definitely work on me. But I think that the main thing that I think is truly special about your brand is the concept on what you've based Minori off of about the concept of minimalism. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more towards that and how you could really bring that to life. So the concept of minimalism came in uh, in such an organic way. It didn't come right away. I think it was like a lot of conversations between me and my husband saying, well, this is the, what I, the line that I'm putting together. You know, it's these very essential products, products that women are going to wake up and put on in the morning, getting ready for brunch, whatever. But it's like the types of daily essentials. And as I was explaining this to him, I said, you know, I'd like, I'm a minimalist. I don't wear too much makeup. And it's really a brand for people like, like me who want that curated assortment. And I think that's when the aha moment came of like, well, actually, let's step back a minute. Let's talk about the fact that 
I'm a consumer that is trying to be more conscious of what I'm consuming, trying to buy less junk, trying to, uh, you know, really think through my consumption um, that I'm doing because I understand kind of all the, the negative effects of not being a mindful consumer. And that was such a long journey for me. I didn't get to that. Um, I was really terrible with that in my 20s. Um, when I was working in Toronto, I was not making a great salary, but I was spending every penny of it on buying clothing from Zara, uh, you know, buying uh, $5 lattes every single day, uh, you know, spending every penny of it on, on, on stuff. And like not, none of that really meant, didn't really, uh, didn't mean much, didn't last a very long time, uh, ended up in landfills. And uh, I was constantly kind of living paycheck from paycheck between like spending money on traveling and on clothes. Like there's not much left when you're 25 years old. And I started getting this crazy feeling of anxiety of just constantly being like, you know what, like I'm doing well in life, but I feel like something's, something's not right. And around that time I discovered uh, Mary Kondo, a friend had told me about her and she said, Anna, you should uh, read her book. <laughs> and maybe if you declutter your closets and you kind of start thinking about you know, your clothing and all the stuff that you buy in a different way, maybe it's going to help you. And so I read Marie Kondo's book and uh, instantly jump into decluttering my closet. Like kind of everyone has that effect. It's like as soon as you watch like a YouTube video about her or a Netflix show about her, you kind of jump right into it. And it was life trans, trans it was completely transformational for me. I started understanding that I had so much stuff that I didn't need, that I had spent so much money on, on, on things that didn't necessarily make me happier, that constantly chased that, that high of, okay, I bought like this beautiful new thing and I'm happy for like a couple of hours and then I want the next thing that's on sale, right? Um, so after about a year of practicing the method, like fully decluttering all my stuff, um, I started really paying attention to what I bought and buying way less things and starting investing into much more high quality pieces, uh, buying from brands that I got to know. Like if I buy a pair of shoes, I want to know who's the designer, where were these shoes made, you know, who is, who's the team behind this, uh, uh, th this company and really getting to know it. And when you're asking yourself all these questions, you attach yourself to that product in a different way. You treat it differently. You take care of it better. And, and you know that and that you love that item it brings you more joy you might have less of them but they make you happier and when I was building Minori and really trying to figure out like okay well you know there's this concept of minimalism how do we bring this into our brand how do we build a brand where we'll make products that are beautiful that are essential but really talk about that, that idea beyond just the aesthetics of minimalism about that idea of less is more can we inspire mindful consumption as a path to sustainability? And that's really what I like to say. I'm like, mindful consumption is a path to, you know, better financial success for ourselves because we're wasting less of our money. It, and it's a path to sustainability because there's no amount of recycling that is going to reverse the effect of us buying and buying and buying and buying every new makeup launch, every new, you know, fashion <laughs> trend that's out there. Um, so with Minori, we're kind of opening this brand up to doing a lot more than just selling makeup. It's really a, a movement to uh, start empowering ourselves to not feel guilty about, you know, not being, not participating in consumerism and in, in blind consumerism. Oh, and uh, in that whole path, I also decided to become a certified Mary Kondo consultant. <laughs> yes. 
I did about a year ago and that's been absolutely phenomenal. So <laughs> on top of uh, starting a beauty company and working in the corporate industry, I decided to help others declutter their closets and that's been a lot of fun. I may need your help. <laughs> you know, I, I'm definitely a huge beauty addict, a makeup addict. I'm that girl that, you know, that YouTube full face of makeup every single day, especially when I was working at Ipsy. Not that I'm not at Ipsy anymore. And with this quarantine, I've really started to go live with a more minimalist life. I want to start appreciating my things. I want to start loving my things. Lately, I've been doing a lot of decluttering of all my makeup. And I realized how many makeup palettes I have had that I've only used once. Exactly. A huge problem in the makeup industry, especially last year, was the amount of launches. Every single day of the week, there's a launch on a side of Beverly Hills or Too Faced every other week, they'll have a new collection out. Mm-hmm. If you think about, like you said, everything has plastic, right? Everything has packaging. This plastic packaging is never going to biodegrade. And it ends up in my drawer, which eventually expires and then end up in the landfill. So it's a huge problem. And now that I'm going into minimalist beauty, it's really inspiring to see all of these brands are coming out now. They're trying to do something like this. And I love seeing your Instagram and I really see you know, how much passion you put behind your products. And we have spoken before too, all the research you have done, and you really try to find multiple purposes for one product, which is so helpful, especially now that I'm trying to minimize. I really don't want to have 10 things on my desk. I want to have five things that does everything and I'm done. So I'm really excited. I would love to hear more, like what what are you planning to launch? When can we see these products? So we're launching in the springtime. So I would say uh, late March, uh, early April is going to be my 31st birthday gift, a very expensive birthday gift to to myself, (laughs) two years in the making. Uh, And we're launching with uh, cream blushes in two shades, uh, cream highlighters in two shades and lip glosses in four shades. And um, you know, what's amazing about, for example, the cream blushes, you know, you can put them on your lips, you can put them on your cheeks, you can add some color to your to your eyes if you want a warm eyeshadow look. And that's exactly that type of, you know, one-stop shop product that if you're running out in the morning, you put some, you put your brows on, you put some mascara and that, that blush in two, three places and, and your face lights up and you, you look natural and you're happy and you, you know, you go out in two seconds. Um, it's really a makeup look that you can do in less than a minute. Uh, but it feels amazing and it comes in, in gorgeous packaging. Our, uh, our cream blush and our cream highlighter comes in this beautiful glass jar uh, that is fully recyclable. The, the challenge is, you know, we're, we're not perfect. Um, I'm still trying to figure out uh, in a couple of years, can we make a lip gloss that is recyclable? Like lip gloss caps mm-hmm. are still made out of different components of plastic and they cannot be recycled at most local municipalities. So what we're going to do is we're going to set up a program with TerraCycle so customers can send them back to us Mm. and we can recycle through TerraCycle. So there are ways around, but yes, that's a huge kind of issue of our industry is that when you're launching a brand, you do kind of still contribute to that environmental waste, which uh, which is really unfortunate. My husband's actually working on a project right now. Um, he's working with a company in China that's producing hemp plastic, 100% biodegradable. And what's amazing for them is they're promising that it will have the same cost as plastic. So right now, if you buy biodegradable hemp, it's about 10 times the cost of a, of a plastic piece. But they're promising to be the same cost as plastic. So 
Um, he's working on some marketing material. Now I'll send that to you once he has that information. Please, please send it to me. I think that's that's kind of the the big challenge for for when you're when you're launching a first color cosmetics brand is the the absurd minimum order quantities that are extremely high. You know, it's uh, you can't order something a thousand units. You have to order ten thousand units of it at the very small scale. Yeah. Um, and and you know, cost of sustainable packaging is like triple. So we are paying us so 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 much for yeah. everything we're making for these for these beautiful glass jars but i'm hoping as an industry you know as the consumer demand and the brand demand rises we can really push our our supply chain to to, uh, to help us make sustainability happen in the beauty industry absolutely um and in addition to um, I think one of the struggles that I see in the beauty industry is, um, yes, there's the the afterthought of like the packaging, et cetera, but I think it's also the front of development as well. Energy, right? Like so many times the, the goal to perfection, the goal to that perfect shade, the goal to that perfect design, that also comes with a lot of waste because you have to throw away a lot of the rejects or you have to throw away a lot of the shades that don't happen. And I feel that that was the piece that I never... I never solved when I was in the lab. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to solve like on the front end, but um, I think I still struggle with that. And, and how do you how do you kind of um, reconcile that? Like being a brand owner and knowing that every time you reject a shade, that um, it it might be in the waste or who can like who can use it, <laughs> right? I know you find you find a lot of friends who will take your your samples <laughs> of of the lip glosses and the blushes. That That's you a great idea. <laughs> That is, guys, that is ingenious. So you free samples. <laughs> you do a, in post-COVID times. You do a party with. Uh, come, come take, come empty my product development drawers. <laughs> please, please take it. That's fun. I like that. That is a great opportunity, especially because then people can really see that journey that you went through. Um, and you know, being on um, Anastasia's uh, Instagram, she's very, very community minded and you can do a lot of giveaways and you connect with your audience. And I think that's also another big struggle in the beauty industry is that with all the voices that are out there, how do we truly connect with our audience and increase engagement? How do you, how do you deal with that as a brand? That, that's been my favorite kind of Ooh. discovery of this entrepreneurial journey. I'm not someone who is very active in social media on my own personal accounts. I kind of post that like one vacation photo <laughs> per, <laughs> per quarter. Um, and when I, when I started working on Minori uh, about a year into the development, we kicked off our Instagram account and I was so, so, so shy at first, kind of afraid to tell people that we're launching a brand. Um, and after a while, I, you know, it was really during COVID that um, we kind of, everything kind of slowed down and I took a step back and started to, to really put my face out there and started having calls with, um, started having calls with people who followed us and asking them questions about the products that we were putting out and getting their feedback on, on our branding, on our messaging and building these relationships one at a time. Um, and it was extremely rewarding. I really felt that I became part of that, you know, niche beauty community. Um, they're such amazing people. There's, um, it's such a great way to develop your brand by listening to what they're asking, listening to their questions, being, being challenged by them on difficult questions, such as sustainability, for example. And, uh, 
that work really became, you know, it, it's, it's, I do, I spent hours per day on, on Instagram, me and my two social media managers kind of nurturing that community, building relationships with them. And what we're, what I'm trying to give back as much as possible is showing them the behind the scenes because this kind of this element of mindful consumption is for you to support a brand, for you to, to support it uh, genuinely with your dollars, it would be great if you knew exactly what you're purchasing. And what, what I can do on my side is really show you the process of how we're building this company, uh, talk to you honestly about the ups and downs, like talk to you about my screw ups, talk to you about my insecurities, the questions that I have, uh, that entrepreneurial journey, which is not that glamorous <laughs> and behind the scenes. It's, very stressful with um you know a lot of big questions that, that we have to get through and and i've been opening up about all of this with my community and i think that we're probably one of the you know very few beauty brands that does that that can say you know actually subscribe to our emails and we'll tell you exactly what we're doing this month and what went wrong and when did we place our purchase orders and how many units of it we, we placed uh today we actually did a, a poll on instagram to get people's help on shade names i'm stuck finding like the perfect shade name for our lip glosses and people are voting and sending me ideas and this is exactly the type of community that i was dreaming to have one day and it's and it's really coming together um so it's that transparency and you know real friendships that we're you know making out of this is, is really phenomenal i love that story especially because we all know how secretive the beauty community is or the beauty companies are. I think one of the things that upset me the most working in beauty is so many men making decisions for what they think women need or what we should produce for women. And it's really encouraging for me to see women like you and Yvonne developing cosmetics and being really transparent with your audience. That's so important because we have so little trust nowadays as consumers because we know they're not being... 100% transparent. So for you to just go to even tell people how many units you're ordering, that's huge. You know, I don't know how many consumers be like, oh, I want to know that information. But that's like, just just be honest enough to say, hey, I'm not hiding it behind anything. This is what you see. This is what you get. That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear this. I'm so proud of what you have created. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yan. Um, you know, I, I really hope that we can continue to do this uh, really every step of the way, even after we launch. Uh, we're going to be going into production in the month of January. So I'll be flying back to my lab uh, in Houston, Texas. Um, and I really hope that my lab allows us to bring cameras in so we can film the actual um, scaling of the, so, you know, we'll go from the small batch to actually making the big gallons of, the, <laughs> of each formula and uh, filling the, you know, really filming every step of the production process and uh, filming not just like the machinery and the and the and the and the fill, but the the people who are making it. You yes. know, when you're walking in this lab, like how many of us actually have seen what a beauty lab looks like, right? Who are the the lab technicians who work on this, mm -hmm. and who are the people behind these formulas? So, I I really want to share kind of that amazing story of uh, of my of my chemist and and that team with with the rest of the world because it's really fascinating. So, and I'll definitely be tuning in because I, I love always seeing that. And I know that you'll be able to tell the story so well and just seeing your journey and just hearing it come to life, you tell it so well. Like it's no, it's no surprise that your audience is as engaged as they are and they want 
they want to see you succeed, succeed. Mm -hmm. They want you to be successful. And that's what you want to buy into because your audience and your fans um, are your defenders, you know, and they're going to support you, especially when it becomes a doggy dog world out there where all the brands like might have something similar to your ideas and to be able to still have that unique fan base and still have your concept be only yours and truly yours is just incredible. So um, I think, yeah, I, I cannot wait to see that grow. Uh, and I really hope that you can make that and scale that up because I think that um, that could really stand out in the beauty industry for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Yvonne. And, and you touched an interesting point about, you know, scaling up. And it's, in, I, for me, that's a thing that I, I like to dream about, right? That, that day where we're going to be a, a big beauty company with a, with a, you know, team of 10 people with budgets to, <laughs> to create uh, beautiful assets, et cetera. But I want to make sure that we scale in a sustainable way. So really thinking about let's create products that are needed. Mm -hmm. not let's create a product just so we can you know have a new marketing campaign um and i think it's we'll we'll be able to do this for you know we're, we're not i'm planning to really have one core product by category so i want us to have so we're starting with lip glosses cream blushes and cream highlighters we'll you know eventually do lipsticks we'll eventually do mascaras we'll uh, but i want us to have like one of each i'm not going to do 13 different versions of lip glosses over the next de decade. You know, I don't think, I don't want to overwhelm the customer with constant new marketing launches. Um, so, you know, eventually I'd love to expand into skincare, but again, it's like really answering a need, not creating launch after launch just for that, for that sake of newness, because mm. as a customer, that makes me so overwhelmed and I do not want to add to that in, in the beauty world. So we'll really be focusing on working on amazing formulas. Uh, on amazing textures, on that performance, on creating products that are, you know, safer for your health, um, but really scaling in a sustainable way. So that's going to be an interesting challenge. I'm sure one that investors are going to ask us about of like, how does a minimalist brand actually make it work in the business world where you're, um, you know, maybe going to be more limited in terms of growth versus a company that uh, can say, you know, why not? We can release, you know, um, limited editions of <laughs> new products as often as we want to make a new cover story in, uh, in Vogue magazine. I mean, I think that that's what the beauty industry should talk more about, though, is that not every product is for everybody, that it's okay to have certain brands that provide a select amount of products. I think that a brand that does that very well is M Cosmetics. I think Michelle Fond does such a good job at really driving home her hero products and her hero shades. Um, and because she's created them so consciously, they do work for a lot of different purposes mm -hmm. and a lot of people. And I, I think that really says something when you start at the very foundation and you don't change your mind because I, I also get that um, whenever you start with a brand and suddenly become something different and then you have your consumer base. So like, for example, um, I guess uh, Kat Von D Beauty, which is now um, KVD Vegan Beauty, like the brand started out something totally different and now it has the same consumer base but they're trying to give them different products mm -hmm. so consumers are going to be confused and um certainly that's something that i think most brands like want to avoid the confusion of their fan base because you have to grow with your fan base but you also have to gain the newer generation as well you have to keep relevant somehow um, exactly exactly and, it's a fine balance 
Yeah, definitely a fine balance. Um, and I definitely am inspired by her. Is there any um, other brand in the beauty industry or any person in the beauty industry that you're also inspired by? I mean, I'm very, very inspired by Bobby Brown and the brands, you know, the amazing brand that she built and kind of being that original pioneer of the, of the natural makeup look. Uh, I'm inspired by, you know, some of my uh, people that are in a very similar stage as me right now. For example, there's this new uh, small skincare brand that is going to launch a couple of months before me called Kira Moon. And he's been such an inspiration for me in terms of building community and really developing a product from the ground up, kind of listening to what people are, are asking and really also showing the, the behind the scenes process. Uh, I'm inspired by Kulfi with what Priyanka is doing, um, who's also an, an ex-colleague of ours from Ipsy, uh, of launching a brand for South Asian women. Um, I'm very inspired by Uoma as a brand for really being a, an amazing force in creating a brand that's extremely diverse, you know, that has beautiful shade ranges. Um, and I think that, you know, what we've seen in, in the year of 2020, that that's, that was such an inspiring movement to see brands, you know, beauty brands, black, black owned beauty brands come out and say, you know what, there's so much better that we can do as an industry and challenging the rest of the community to really step up their game. Um, and so those are, those are my inspirations. And I think that you've also made a really good point about the cost of entry as well, because it's incredible that today we have all these brands that are coming in, but do you also think that it could be that way because the, the market needs it and they're willing to support the brands so the brands are able to, uh, to satisfy the cost of entry for having the amount of shades and having the minimum order quantities that, um, that they need to, to be successful? Or do you think it's really the uh, product developers, the, um, the chemists and the labs that are allowing these indie brands and help featuring that movement? I think, um, I think the labs, and the big packaging companies are definitely being more receptive to working with indie beauty brands. Um, I think, you know, five, six years ago, had Minori knocked on the door of the people that we work with today, we would have gotten rejected because the guys that we work with make packaging for Tom Ford and for all the L'Oreal brands and all the Sephora brands. And we're tiny and we're placing the smallest order in their history probably for them. And we're a pain in the butt to work with because we need a lot more handholding. Um, but they are willing to take that risk and, you know, finding these stories and these entrepreneurs that they're willing to support. Um, the cost of entry is still extremely high for a non-corporate entity because when you're coming in with, you know, your personal savings, um, ordering 10,000 units uh, of packaging and working with, you know, uh, with, a, with a lab, even if when you're making it locally, it's extremely expensive. Uh, so I think the the minimum order quantities are still very difficult barriers to entry to to most people. Um, I think it's a lot easier to start in skincare. That's kind of the, what I'm seeing. There's so many more indie beauty skincare brands because you can order a couple hundred units. Uh, you can even maybe have a product developer make something on a small batch kind of level where you can keep making 100 units at a time. It's not very scalable, but it's doable. You can start a skincare brand a lot more easily in color cosmetics. 
you do kind of have to plan and prepare, prepare that that money that's going to take for for the for the startup. Uh, maybe be very smart and launch only one product so you can do ten thousand units instead of twenty thousand units like we're doing. Um, and and really find partners who are willing to to support you. And you know, I guess the fact that we are launching is a testament to yes, it is doable. You will find manufacturing partners who will be willing to work with you. Um, just you have to listen to a lot of rejection until you you find them. <laughs> they they weren't the first who who said uh, there was a lot of people who said no before we got a yes. So I'm not quite sure if I answered your question, but. <laughs> No, you did. You did. Because I feel like that a lot of the times when you have a fan base, um, sometimes they say like, oh, like, I like this color that you have, but when are you going to come out with this color? Or when are you going to come up with this? How do you reconcile? You want to make everyone happy and at the same time, right? Less is more. <laughs> Less is more. Less is more. I mean, you know, really the approach that we took was coming out with these like two shades, right? This for, for example, for our blushes, we're like, okay, what are the two shades that work well on every single skin tone? And let's say you have a slightly cooler undertone or slightly warmer undertone. And we ended up making a shade that's you know, a little bit more mauve that is perfect for cooler undertones or more in like kind of that, that wintery fall look and, a shade, and another shade that's a little bit more peachy um, that is perfect for, for spring, for summer or people with warmer undertones. And both shades work beautifully on everyone. And I kind of knew that there is these, these gems in, in the color spectrum that work on every single skin tone. And let's pick those two and keep it simple. Keep really the brand super curated. Um, and keep the costs manageable for us as a startup because, you know, we would not be able to afford um, the product development um, and, you know, just like the, the packaging cost of, of, you know, on a whim, adding a bunch of shades um, to our collection. Absolutely. And, and actually, now that um, as you're speaking, I am remembering uh, another brand, uh, Girlfriend Collective, I know they're in fashion, but something very similarly, um, they do have a less is more philosophy. And it, whenever they want to come up with new colors, they only do it as a limited edition. So it's just probably the minimum order quantity and they, <laughs> they blow it out and then they say, no, no more. And then that just kind of gives this, the consumer this excitement and say like, oh, well, like, do I need this? Can I need this? Like, um, and then really evaluate like, oh, but if I need a basic color, I'll always have that. But um, if I have the special color, is it good for a gift? Is this good for a gift for me? Um, mm-hmm. And really evaluating like, do you really need this now? Or can you, can you wait for another time? And I think that was a really smart way for them to introduce some excitement. I think the business model that really works for this type of concept is our brands that uh, are owned by manufacturing facilities. So for example, ColourPop um, is a brand that is made by a company that in its origins is actually a cosmetics manufacturer. And, you know, they have the factory in-house, that's their expertise, and they're able to to listen to the asks of their consumers and come out with a product in, you know, in six weeks. Um, I mean, one day, you know, Minori's (laughs) goal is never going to be to pop out new products every six weeks. That's the the opposite of what we want to do. But I would, 
I would dream of the day where we can do production in-house, where we can maybe source packaging still at like affordable scale, but maybe do smaller batches uh, of product uh, for at least for the fill in-house with our own kind of product developer or chemist uh, um, within the team. That that would be the dream. (laughs) We'll work towards that. (laughs) Absolutely. And how do you feel about brands and products that that are made to order? Whereas as this person clicks, puts it in their cart, clicks yes, pays for it, then someone's in the lab and batching it like made to order so that when it arrives to the product, it says it, when it arrives to the consumer, it's as fresh as possible. What are your thoughts on that type of model? I think for skincare it would be genius. I think that to have you know a fresh skincare product that was formulated for your needs, um, really maybe with some personalization that you were able to kind of add your own tweak to it, uh, or add or add or remove some ingredients that maybe you're you're allergic to, or really having that personalized approach. I I definitely see that in the future of the beauty industry, uh, personalization is. Uh, uh, a, a driving force in terms of innovation um, and it, it's going to be added value to the consumer. So we need to figure out as an industry how to make that supply chain work mm-hmm. uh, at a cost-effective basis because right now I would assume that to create, for example, a personalized foundation, you're probably going to be paying kind of double or triple the cost of going and buying one from you know, your regular favorite Sephora brand. Um, but 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 I am I am kind of seeing n- new innovation in that space where particularly for complexion products where kind of machines can tweak the fill of the the bottle and kind of add a little bit more pigment or less pigment and you're really getting an on demand kind of complexion product created for you. So I would uh, I would love to to see that really become the the norm in, in the next decade. Yes, yes, I would like that too. <laughs> and I think Yvonne, you had an idea similar to that. I'm waiting for you to launch that brand. Yes. Oh, so that's why I'm always like trying to plug in like how how many legs does this have, this idea? Like, will people actually buy into it? Because it I mean, it's gonna be expensive, right? Like because of the the quality of products that I'm and ingredients I'm willing to put in, but uh, as well as if it's made to order small batches, there's a lot more, it's a lot more of a handmade product. So more I, I love that. I love that. And, and, and an idea to add to that, I was actually thinking about it this week. I was like, imagine if Minori did a pop-up shop and people can bring uh, their, you know, empty jars yes. and we can like refill their lip gloss tubes with like fresh lip gloss, yes. <laughs> you know, fresh cream blush, because we can literally create big, you know, jars of bulk and you can come and we'll, we'll give you the amounts of, of you know, product that you need and be for you to be able to reuse that, um, that packaging. So I think the way that you can go buy, you know, coffee in bulk and go to the, you know, local uh, kind of eco stores and, uh, and, and buy produce and, and, and food that way, I think the beauty industry is probably going to have some version of that at some point. Yeah. What happens if you just had the fruit truck concept where you're just literally driving around your, your bulk and for refills and just having little pop-up parties in every state um, and you're just kind of, you're, you are the distributor. Right. Like when you have that type of model. And I've always, I've always been into it because one of my biggest things after working at a big CPG company was that I just thought food included that American packaging is way too big. It was very strange concept to me when I saw the three pound tub of butter. Well, um, I worked at for, um, 
uh, I Can't Believe It's Not Butter, Country Crock, um, and the Unilever side. And that was our most popular product, like, uh, for, for some time when I was there. <laughs> Yan's, like, raising her hands. Um, and, I mean, yes, like, you have that. And it's because it's so easy, right, as consumers for us to think, okay, I need this, and I'll need this forever and ever, until, and I don't have to go to the store because I'm so busy to do any. I'm too busy to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started visiting uh, my friends in Europe and visiting my friends around the world, especially in Australia, I noticed that so much of their packaging, including skincare, was a lot smaller. They weren't using, and because of that, they were using just enough, and they were using it all up and then mm-hmm. purchasing a new one. That's not how I do. Like I'm like using halfway thinking maybe it's time to try something new. So I'm still wasting the product um, and not right. But I didn't, maybe I didn't waste my time maybe, but, <laughs> um, or maybe I have some in the back. Like that's my backfill. Um, in fact, like I'm now getting kind of memories of when I'm watching the home edit, similar type of thing where you see a, a lot of women um, in in our bathrooms, we have some backfill. We have some replacements that are ready to go uh, for gifts for friends. I I, I love seeing um, I love seeing the movement on Instagram of influencers who like specialize in the niche of of showing their empties and they're like they do these like no buy challenges uh, where they they don't buy something new until you know they hit the pan on on their palette or on their product. Um, I actually did a uh, no buy uh, challenge in two thousand. 19. So I think I had already started working on Minori and I told myself, you know, I'd like, let's fully immerse myself into this concept of minimalism and really try out. It's a little bit to an extreme. Um, I had read this amazing book by Kate Flanders called A Year of Less, where she, for one full year, only bought consumables. So for example, you finish your deodorant stick up until the very end, you go buy yourself a new deodorant, but you don't, you finish your shampoo bottle, then you, you go buy yourself in your shampoo bottle but apart from these consumables you don't buy anything else so for eight months I did it I didn't buy myself a single new piece of clothing I only bought consumables once I finished my stuff up and it was such an amazing experience to to realize that you're not less happy you're actually you can walk around stores and look at things like you're in an art gallery you're just browsing you're like oh this is a beautiful piece of art so it's very you nice you feel lighter you. overall right you don't feel like burdened and cluttered a hundred percent a hundred percent and eventually when I came out of that um it, it really had a lasting effect with me because I'm like I really think whenever I am buying something I'm like you know what like do I really need this is this going to be life-changing to me do I really need this extra you know piece of this other item in my household and most of the time it's no so <laughs> it's a it's a good way to look at it but I think Yvonne I think you hit it now on the head where you said we're all too busy. We're busy. That's why we're buying in bulk, where we buy a lot so we don't have to go to the store as often. So I think the bigger problem is because we're so busy and this is the American culture, um, that we're not living consciously, right? We're not aware of how much we're actually purchasing. I'm a Costco. I'm like, I need this because I'm always going to need the order. So I'm just going to buy this like five pack. And then I put it away and I forget my Costco. No. Gets, I, need, I, need, I need the order. I buy another five pack. Yeah. And I have a life hack for you. Yeah. Buy less stuff so you can work less. <laughs> no, that's literally what I'm doing now. I'm not buying anything because I realized I never hit pan on anything. I have never finished one bottle of foundation. I've never hit pan on any blush or any 
bras or any eyeshadow. Exactly. Let, let's, let's spend less of our life working nine to five jobs, uh, getting stressed out of our minds just so we can spend every ounce of that paycheck on, on stuff, right? Let's right, spend more exactly. of that time with our kids, with, with our friends in, in nature. So I think, you know, that, that concept of mindfulness really brings us onto a, a good path. Yep. Very, very true. And I think that that's the perfect takeaway for our listeners to take from this episode is really about that mindfulness, mindful beauty, um, mindful selections, mindful choices that we really want people to look at their lives and look at those insights that you that you already have and to refine yourself and refine that happiness that might be right in front of you. I think that's something that I've been taking away with uh, recently, just practicing gratitude for myself and the things that I've already, um, that I already have so that I'm not you know, as you're saying, spending my money to find that happiness or to purchase the happiness that I think I need because I already have it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what's great when you're when you kind of practice that mindfulness in a very conscious way is that when you do finally treat yourself to something really special, for example, you know, you've been you've been good, you've been saving and you're like, OK, you know, there's this bag, this maybe this luxury bag that I really want uh, or this piece of art or whatever it is that will you know, make you happy and you purchase that thing, it, it, that level of happiness is actually pretty special because you were very mindful about that purchase. You thought about it for, for months or kind of were saving up towards it. And at that moment, you really take care of that piece versus having, you know, bought it on a whim, bought it on an impulse. It actually doesn't feel as gratifying. So I think mindfulness is not just, it's not about austerity. It's not about like, all right, I'm going to buy nothing and like live like a monk. No, like just be mindful, go buy yourself a nice pair of jeans, wear it for a decade or, you know, at least for three years, (laughs) (laughs) go, go, go buy yourself a nice leather jacket, treat yourself to these good things in your life, but be very mindful about it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Because you shouldn't feel guilty about spending your own money, especially when you deserve it. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I I sold my my wedding dress and uh, reincarnated it into an eight hundred dollar leather jacket, and I still every time I wear it, I'm like, yes, this is like the best investment ever. That's amazing. Wow. That's a great hack. <laughs> yeah, I never buy anything special for myself because I'm always buying on a whim. So I don't have any money to buy anything special. But lately, my practice has been if I feel like shopping, I'll put stuff in, in the cart and then I will literally walk away for an hour or so. 99% of the time I forget. And that's mm-hmm. how I don't need it. But if I continue thinking about it throughout the day, then at the end of the day, I'll purchase it because I know that's something I actually really, really want. That's been my latest habit I'm trying to put in place because I'm, I was such a shopaholic that I need to break that habit. Exactly. hundred percent. And, and then like my other tip to people is just like, do a little bit of research, find out where this product comes from, who made it, you know, what's their story. And, and just that, that act of, of doing that research uh, creates a more special bond and, and makes you more mindful. Yes. Thank you. All great tips. I could I could <laughs> honestly keep talking to you guys all day about this because there's just there's just so much here and the beauty industry changes every day with all the brands and with all the news. So I hope that we get to revisit this topic next year and kind of see where we are on that as well. And also to see where Minori is as well. I'm, I'm so, so, so excited to see where Minori is going to be in a year, but I'm trying to live in the present. You know, my focus right now is kind of the baby steps in the next, in the weeks to come, in the months to come. Um, there's so much left to do, which uh, which is insane, but I have a, 
an amazing support and a small team helping me. So we're, we're, we're going to get to that finish line. I, I keep saying it's like um, giving birth to, uh, to, to giving birth to Minori. I feel like I've been pregnant with this company for two years and I need to, <laughs> I need to finish incubating it. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure it'll be amazing. I'm sure there will be amazing products. I remember when you were talking about it and now it's almost here. I've seen all the work you put into it and everything you have talked about. I cannot wait for this brand to launch. My credit card's ready. I will make that purchase. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Jan. <laughs> and where can our audience find you to learn more and follow Minori Beauty? So you can for, uh, follow us on our Instagram handle, Minori Beauty. Uh, you can follow us also. Um, we put out a lot of great content on our blog, myminori.com. Um, if you sign up to our newsletter, you'll have access to our behind the scenes and really that you know entrepreneurial journey that we give updates um, every four to six weeks. We send out a, a detailed kind of diary of what we've been working on. All the secrets. Uh, all the secrets, exactly all the scoop. <laughs> it, it started off as being a letter to kind of our friends and supporters and potential investors. And then we opened it up to others and, and it's really been great. So yeah, on our Instagram is kind of the, the easiest place, Minori Beauty. And awesome. we'll link everything um, in the episode details as well. Thank you so, so, so much. <laughs> and we like to end our episodes with a quote. Um, do you have a favorite quote of the moment that's really pushing you through? So it's been a quote that's been pushing me my entire life. Um, it's uh, by President Calvin Coolidge, and this is how it goes. Nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. So that's my quote. That's really kind of a, a motto that has been driving me in throughout the difficult college years and the difficult young professional years, just knowing that no matter the challenges that you face, it's really that, that grit, that persistence that will get you through. And uh, there's nothing more true in kind of this entrepreneurial path that's full of uh, ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today and telling your story. So I can't wait to hear what our audience thinks. Um, and if anyone has any questions, you can always find us through our email and our Instagram, and we'll be sure to connect you with Anastasia as well. Thank you, Thank guys. Thank you so much, Yvonne. And thank you, Jan. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We really appreciate your support for our little podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it will mean the world to us if you can leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. This will help more people discover our podcast. You can find Lost and Refound podcast on Instagram at lost.and.refound. If you want to email us, you can do so at lostandrefoundpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I hope you stay positive and creative. Bye. Bye.